Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. It seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of Captain America and to the adventures for which it stands, one nation, under Thor, invisible woman, with Liberty Legion and defenders for Hulk. And with that, the meeting of the sixth grade comic book club of Holy Rosary School would commence. What followed was a mishmash of chat, arguments, and trading that would last about 30 minutes past the last bell of the day. Our teacher, Miss Valicente, was really nice to let us have this little club time after school. She taught us kids during the day. Yeah, we were a bunch of ingrates and we drove that poor woman crazy. But that's uh, for another episode. Anyway, comics were our only true commodity at that age. Our collections were our bank accounts, and it was trading almost every day. I one time traded a whole mess of valuable comics from my friend Howard for a dozen or so Hardy Boys books that we had actually swiped from the school library. Go back and listen to episode 12, The Great Hardy Boy Heist of 78, for the entire sordid story that ended up getting my butt in deep doo-doo. Now, the days were getting chilly. It was December. I would guess 1976. And me and my friend Vito were hanging around my deserted block after school when Chan happened by. Chan was part of my older sister's crew. He was a tall guy, walked with a bit of a tired slouch, he had a great thick head of hair down to his shoulders, and at that time, so did Vito and me. He saw us looking over some comics and stopped by to chat with us. That's how it was back on those stoops of Atlanta's days. People would just walk by, stop and chat, and then go on their way. I have a bunch of comics I've been thinking about selling, he said. My eyebrows rose. Really? How many? Oh, I don't know. A bunch, I guess. I had them since I was like your age. The calculator in my head started spitting out numbers. He was probably 18. I was 11. Seven year difference. Seven minus 1976. That was 1969. Man, did he have a bunch of silver-aged comic books he wanted to sell? How much? Vito asked. Not sure. I have to think about it. Can we see them? I asked. Now, boredom was a frequent visitor in my hood, and any chance we had to send that dull guest on its way, we took. Yeah, you want to come to my house? I'll show you. Where do you live? I asked. The projects. Uh Uh-oh. Butterfly started flapping in my stomach. All I ever heard was how dangerous it was in the projects. People got shot, stabbed, robbed. Maybe it was a little exaggerated by my parents, but, but they weren't lying. There, there was a lot of crime in those buildings. Okay, Vito said. Let's go, Moik. Moik. <laughs> I've had many variations of my name, from Migaluch to Miguel to Mykonos. Vito liked Moik. Normally, I would have to tell my mother when I was leaving the block. I mean, could I tell her I was going to the projects? I mean, I wasn't going by myself. Vito and Chan, who lived there, would be with me. But did I want to go? Not really, but the siren song of silver-aged ink was a powerful call. I decided to risk it and not tell my mom. 
We headed off to 1st Avenue, then up to 120th, where the grass and trees of the Wagner House's property gave a false sense of bucolic peace. When I passed through the front doors, it was the first time I'd ever set foot into public housing. I guess I had a sheltered childhood, like Sam Gamgee, who never walked outside the confines of the Shire. We took the elevator up to the seventh floor. Chan's apartment was down the hall. When we entered, the aroma of cooking hit my nostrils. Chan shouted a hello to his mother in the kitchen and then guided us to his room down a small corridor. It was a cold bedroom. Walls were covered with rock posters and clippings from rock magazines. There were stacks of milk cartons filled with vinyl albums. There was a guitar or maybe two lying about. I guess this was Chan's cozy cove. He was a quiet big teddy bear of a guy. And I'm sure this was where he could lose himself in the love of his life, which was always his music. He pulled a box out from under his bed, and from it pulled stacks of comics, all sealed in plastic bags. My heart bugged out of my eye sockets. I looked at the covers. The prices on them were all 12 cents. That was a great thing. That meant Silver Age. And the art style was different. Very different from the current Bronze Age books I was buying at that time. There were early episodes of Avengers, single digits, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, Daredevil, etc., etc., all like precious coins tumbling from a wooden chest. They were paper jewels. I felt that strong and terrible desire to covet them all. Was there an 11th commandment I had not heard of? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's comics? I could sense Vito was feeling the same gluttonous urge as I was. So, so how much for all of them? I asked. Chant thought for a quick bit, shrugged, and then he said you could have the whole lot for a hundred bucks. Now looking back, a hundred bucks for what we'd be getting was a steal. But when you're 11 in 1976, he may as well have said 10,000. Neither me or Vito had a hundred bucks. That would be 50 bucks each. I felt dejected. I could see Vito with the same expression. Crap, a hundred bucks. We told Chan we, we weren't sure, but we would let him know. I'm not going anywhere, he said. All the way home, me and Vito chatted about our financial resources, which were non-existent. It was an easy calculation. We had nothing. But Christmas was coming, just a couple of weeks away. As a kid, you get two kinds of gifts. Cool toys that you dreamed about owning since Thanksgiving Day morning when you watched the commercials during the Macy's Parade and made lists that you either sent to Santa or gave to your parents, pleading and begging that these would change your life and make the cold winter months bearable. And then there were sweaters. Cash was not a usual Christmas present. That was more likely to fill your cards on birthdays. But there was one aunt, my Aunt Anne, who we called Oeo, would usually add a $20 bill in a card along with the sweaters and pants that she would get us. 20 bucks. Maybe I could scrounge up another five. Could Vito get his hands on $25? I think so, he guessed. The day after Christmas, we would merge our cash, go back to Chan's place, and talk him into selling us that whole batch for half a C-note. So Christmas Eve was spent in the Bronx apartment of my Uncle John and Aunt Oeo, up on the 17th floor overlooking the Hudson. In between eating fried shrimp and other fish and tossing wet blobs of toilet paper out the window on the sly, we opened gifts. 
There was always that moment when I had to channel my inner Meisner and act all happy and pumped to get a new sweater or pair of pants. But there was that card, and in it was hopefully a picture of Andrew Jackson that would be bartered for a bunch of pictures of Stan Lee's family. Normally, opening a birthday or Christmas card that was attached to a gift was done quickly. A fast tear, a moment where you pretend to speed read the text, a short but appreciative smile, and the card is gently placed on the floor while the real star of the show, the present, was opened. This time I opened the card with equal excitement. A flash of glitter in Santa's face, and then green. Andrew Jackson. I had my 20. But wait, there was another bill. Was that Lincoln? Yep. I had my 25 bucks. Another Christmas came and went. It was a fun day as always, spent opening gifts and eating all day. I called Vito and checked if he had the cash. He did. Tomorrow morning, we agreed. We would head over to Chance Place and buy our special stupendous stash of Super Silver Comics. Morning came with an overcast sky, chilly temperatures. Also with a news story. There was a shooting in the projects. Yeah, some dude shot this other dude in the hallway who hit on his girlfriend, Vito announced. Really? Great. Now I really didn't want to trek into that danger zone, even to get comic books. But but we had the cash. Once again, I I wasn't going to mention to my parents we were going. Hopefully the transaction would be quick. We'd be back on my stoop divvying up the comic books before my parents even knew I was gone. We headed off. The streets were quiet, and the grassy knoll that led to the entrance of Chan's building was equally desolate. The door squealed as we entered. As we waited for the elevator, I looked around nervously for gun-toting, jealous boyfriends. I was such a scaredy-cat, admittedly. Vito was all confidence and bravado, as always. Who is it? came the voice of a woman. We're here for the comic books. The door opened and a short woman in a house dress greeted us. Chan, she called out. Chan appeared in the hallway from his room. He looked tired and, and surprised to see us. I thought you guys said you didn't have any money. We have it, Vito said. Well, you should have let me know you were coming. He seemed annoyed. I had this terrible feeling he was going to just tell us to hit the road. Was he really going to pop our two-dimensional comic book dialogue bubble? I turned to Vito, and we both looked at Chan and gave him our best puppy dog sad pusses. Then he rolled his eyes, shrugged, and gestured for us to follow him into his room. He grabbed the box of comics and placed them on the bed. A hundred bucks, he said. I grabbed an issue of number seven of X-Men, which at the time I think was worth about ten bucks, and I looked at Chan and said, well, if we take this one out, and then Vito grabbed a couple of early Avengers, and these, these are worth about ten bucks each, and this one I said, tossing another one that was worth about ten bucks onto the separate pile. I looked at Chan, so can we get the rest for fifty bucks? It doesn't work that way, he said. It's a package deal. I worked again to the little short pile. But those were all worth about 10 bucks each. That's like $60 worth of comic books. So we'll give you 50 for the rest, which is about $40 worth of comic books. I figured we were pushing our luck. But for some reason, he thought about it and then slightly nodded. He went for it. I'm not sure why. I mean, he was a smart guy. I doubt we tricked him with some kind of mathematical prestidigitation. Maybe he just wanted us to get out of his apartment. So we gave Chan our 50 bucks, and he gave me and Vito a stack of about 100 Silver Age comic books. And we left the little pile of half-dozen $10 ones behind in the bed. Back in my hallway of my building, me and Vito divvied up the booty. I ended up with some pretty great comic books that, over the years, I sold to Super Snipe Comic Book Store. 
I'm sure at a loss to finance my other hobby, magic. But I definitely made a profit on my original 25 buck investment. I still have a few of those comic books we schmoozed from Chan on that December 26, 1976. I'll post pictures on the Stoops of Atlanta's Facebook page. Comic books were a love and a commodity. It was gold. All those Silver Age mags. And we traded, collected, spent, and hoarded them on my Stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.